Welcome back to the program. We're going to pray to the Omega. <laughs> it's not the Omicron, Omicron, Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, our God, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of our lives and our faith. And thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you give to us. And Lord, I ask that you bless us today. Bless those who are listening. Um, bless those who accompany us uh, on the way to school. Um, I know that there are some kiddos. Uh, just in the past couple of days, Carrie, I, I received uh, emails from or phone calls from two parents who drive to school with their kiddos. One of the they're kiddos or kiddos, kiddos, dear. Oh, okay, okay. kiddos. Uh, kids uh, going to the Oaks and kids going to St. Charles, and so they uh, listen to Sound Insight, and and there's sort of a wrestling match. The kids grumble. And the parents say, "This is your penance. You're going to offer this up, and you're going to you're going to enjoy it in Jesus' holy name." Hey, I know you, kiddos, exactly how you feel. This is a penance for me, <laughs> being on with Tom. Actually, Carrie, this is actually a good question. There are some folks listening who say, "This is a penance for me." What's a penance? Do you know what a penance is? I think you forgot to start with prayer. Oh. Yeah, I'm right. just see how I deflected that nice. whole theological that question. That was good. Well, let me go on Google while you pray. You better Google. Actually, <laughs> see the Summa Theologica right there, <laughs> volume two. That is way too much work. It's in volume three. So, But he defines penance, and it's really beautiful. Uh, but we'll pray first, and then we'll get to the beautiful definition of penance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I, I present to you all the kids who are listening to this program unwillingly. Um, <laughs> Hey, that was a serious prayer. In all the adults. I, and I listening. pray for those parents. They love their kids, Lord. They love their kids and they love their faith and they're striving to grow in faith and help their kids grow in faith. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would give them the grace to know that the battle is not yours. The battle is God's and that, Lord, you're on our side. You go before us. You go behind us. You are right with us. And I ask, Lord, that you'd give each of those kids a special grace, a special grace of your presence today that they would sense and know in a whole new way, just how much you love them. And Lord, as parents, I ask that you and grandparents and great grandparents listening, and I just pray, Lord, that you'd give all of us a sense of um, a sense of the ways that we can uh, impact their lives through our own obedience to you, through our own growth and holiness. And Lord, just give us a, an awakening of fervor an awakening of zeal to grow in holiness and fervor for fulfilling our mission. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, you don't think I forgot, do you? Penance, Aquinas. So you remember in my book, Confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life? Yes. Yes, you're teasing me. You're, look, you're not looking at me. You're not, she's not looking at me, folks. I'm looking up at the skies, oh. I think... Are you having a vision? Uh, I'm trying to apparition? find in my hard drive where those, that <laughs> The five sentences, is. right? Yes, I'm looking I for did it. it. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll make up for it. I'll never do it again. And penance comes from the, I'll make up for it. Okay. And um, it's also called satisfaction. But the difference, it, the way that Aquinas identifies penance is he distinguishes it from forgiveness. That in God's mercy, he forgives us our sins that washes away. It washes away the, the guilt of that sin. It washes away the sin. Um, so in forgiveness, the sin is washed away. Penance uproots the sin. Penance uproots the cause of the sin. Wait, so when you go to confession, 
What do you get from the priest? So confession addresses the effects of sin. Penance addresses the cause of sin. So the effect of sin is that it weakens or severs our relationship with God. When we go to confession, we're reconciled with God and with ourselves and with the church. So there's a sense of reunion, of coming back into communion. So the effect of sin is diminishing or destroying our relationship with God. So that's what happens when we sin. We think of sin breaking God's law and we're threatened with punishment. No, we actually are ultimately faced with the possibility of being separated from God forever in hell. So it's that that is the ultimate you know, destruction of our very selves is separation from God in hell. Well, on are you, earth... Are you addressing this to the third and fourth graders that are listening to you? <laughs> They're all going Thou to hell. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother, right? <laughs> With a good attitude, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, where am I going? Well, where am I going is this, is that um, we will often focus on forgiveness, on the act of God's mercy that washes away the effects of sin so that we're brought back into union. What's the problem? The problem is, is that the root out of which those sinful behaviors blossomed and bloomed, the, those I don't urges, think you should use blossom and bloom when you talk about sinful those, behaviors. Those weeds grew, the weeds that grew, the, the poison what, ivy, what the use. disease. So the, <laughs> okay, we're trying. So, uh, so what does penance do? Penance uh, addresses the causes of sin. It's going to get at the source. So, do you get a penance? Yeah, the penance you get in confession is just symbolic. It's meant to point you in the direction of the penance you ought to be doing in your life. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, but I just don't feel like pray three Hail Marys does much for me when yeah, exactly. I have a sin that I know I'm struggling with over and over and over again. So how does one find the strength, the wisdom, the insight, the support to move away from that sin? Like if you're into gambling or pornography or addicted to your phone. Right. So when I went to confession on Sunday. Um, what was the sin you confessed? Um, I confessed two sins. <laughs> just kidding. So, I hate. Obviously, you don't listen to Sound Insight because I put <laughs> my sins right share? out there. So, um, this is exactly why I don't like to be on the radio with you. Yeah, but no, listen, I... The, the, the penance I got was to pray a decade of the rosary. And then he said, if you, he, he, his discernment was that I was under spiritual attack. And he said two things beyond that one act of penance of praying the decade of the rosary. He said, you should fast. You should really fast as a way of uprooting the sin. In this instance, it would be severing the contact with the sin. Um, and so, as a great example of that, <clears throat> you're holding that Toblerone box. Toblerone is a really good Italian candy. They had a great sell at Costco. Did they really? Yes. Well, I never even heard of that candy till I lived in Rome. And it, it, I said, oh, it looks really weird. And then I ate it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like heaven. So... Be that as it may, it now is showing up in the U.S. I don't know if it's because of Costco, but Costco caught on. Oh, no, 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 no. It's been here a long time. They just had like a six-pack 
a six bars together and you got like $2 off or something. So I bought like four with the idea that I'd give them all out to the teachers. But then we changed our gift to the teachers. So then I had, what, six times four, our 24 bars or Did tubes. you really have that many? Yes. At, in our house? Yeah, I still have a couple more. I've hidden Holy them cow. from you. I, <laughs> I saw one of those like little rounds of six, and I'm like, all of a sudden they were like down to five, four, three, two, one. I'm like, whoa, who's eating all of these? Oh, my goodness. Um, but Anyhow. Be, whatever. Well, I found one in your drawer. The drawer was open, and I'm like, hey, what is that doing there? I hide them all. I hide yeah. all chocolates in my drawer. Everyone knows this. Okay. It's so, not even my clothing drawer. It's like a drawer for like sheets and pillowcases and okay so here's honestly what happened here's my living examination of conscience i looked at the toblerone box i lifted it up i realized there are only a few of those triangle chunks left and i thought to myself this is fine i deserve this i've had a long day the lord loves me enough to enjoy some sweets and then i heard the voice of my confessor saying you should fast and i said i should fast as I picked up the box and brought it down to my office, <laughs> I said, I should fast. And as I got it to my office, I took it out of the box. It was still wrapped in its silver aluminum foil. And I threw the box away. Excellent. And I set it up next to my computer. And as I'm turning on the computer, I said to myself, do I want to provide spiritual protection for my family? Or do I want the chocolate? And the answer was, I want the chocolate. However, I didn't eat the chocolate. I fished the box back out of the trash, put it back in, set it aside, and put it back up in the drawer. So how did it end up in my purse? I brought it to the basketball game tonight. Carrie, see that? The flesh. You're unconsciously (laughs) impacted. Hey, I'm just impressed that you and the Lord have a little conversation before you have dessert. The Lord would like me to have this dessert, this food. Oh, I am wrestling with my conscience. It's Jacob wrestling with the angel, right? The voice of God within. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to just keep wrestling to justify it. But thanks be to God, the voice of the Lord inside of me was was clear enough to say, look, I'm not going to prevent you from eating it, but to do that is to dishonor me and what I have for your life. And I'm like, all right, I've got a choice. What am I going to do? Give it to your wife. That's give great. it to my, I didn't give it to you. I just put it back in the drawer. Oh, okay. Full disclosure. Late, after you went to the basketball game, I went back to the drawer. And I thought, <laughs> it's now, you know what? After dinner, God loves for me to have a dessert. Oh, my goodness. And then I went to the drawer and it was gone. And then I felt resentment. Hey, wait a minute. Who took this? Carrie took it. The kids took it. Hey, how come they can eat it and I can't? Grumble, grumble, grumble. And then I thought, no, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you protected me from myself. So that, what what I just shared with you in that simplest story is the way that a penance is so revealing. It's so revealing. Something as simple as, I'm going to fast today. Like I fasted yesterday. If I'm fasting. I was fasting today. And it wasn't like some kind of rigorous fast, but it was um, being able to um, exercise some acts of self-denial. 
um, not accessing pleasures. So I was like kind of attuned to John of the Cross, but also attuned to the um, to the confession. So his initial penance in the confessional was just symbolic. It just was a pointer saying, hey "Man, you need to get out there into the into your real the world of your real life, and do some real penance." And um, and so uh, so I've been doing that, you know, and. And what's the point, brothers and sisters, as you hear this, is that to advance in the spiritual life involves necessarily penance. It involves necessarily. It's not optional. It's not only for some people. If you intend to grow, you must diminish attractions to sins in your life, and you must uproot them. You must find a source of severing of connections to uh, sinful impulses in you, and you must diminish and dry them up. You must deprive them of life so that they will wither and virtue will grow. And penance does all of that. It doesn't make it fun, doesn't make it easy, doesn't make it pleasant, um, but that's penance. So, so Carrie, when you said, I think we got into all of this, you said that uh, um, being on the program was a penance, like you were saying that the kids listening to the program was a penance. Um, it, it's, it's good to just ponder, like stop and say, well, what do we mean by that as Catholics, right? A penance. Um, I think that we have maybe images in our minds, if, if at all, that are probably not that healthy. They probably come from sort of middle ages, wearing a hair shirt and other forms of rigorous self-mortification, self-flagellation, things like that, um, versus, no, 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 acts of self-denial are actually quite important if you're going to grow in the spiritual life. So I, I know, Carrie, we, we've experienced that when we were um, walking the path of keto, right? It, it was a daily and even, like it was a daily schedule that was just marked by depriving us of certain things that we would have been attracted to in order to choose a healthier path. And in doing that, what did we experience? We experienced the diminishment of the urges to eat certain foods. They started to dry up. And um, they only came back when we when the wall fell and we started giving ourselves back over to that other lifestyle form of eating. Yes. So, all right. Um, so, Yesterday, I, I used as the theme of the program that difficulties and trials are a greater blessing than not experiencing difficulties and trials. And Carrie, I asked you to come on be, for a couple of reasons. And one of them um, had to do with um, a story at Mass. It was a very, for me, a very powerful story. And when we come back, I want you to lead with that story um, about the, a, a particular trial that um, you pushed our kids into and it led to I think a, a great blessing or it's going to and then other things from there welcome back to Sound Insight this is Tom Carnum with my wife Carrie uh, if you listen to Sound Insight you know that um, Carrie and I make it our regular practice to go to the traditional Latin Mass we don't only go to the traditional Latin Mass but um, it just so happened that Carrie last Sunday um, I was sick uh, with Omicron, and um, so I was staying home, staying clear, and um, you took the kiddos, and, and when you came home, you told me a story about what happened at Mass, and I found it very striking. I never heard 
anybody relate that kind of story before about how you parented your kids at mass that day? Uh, do you mind just t- tell the listeners what, what happened? Oh, yes. I am very experienced as a parent. <laughs> I have all the answers. Well, we went to Saturday night mass because our daughter was catching a flight at like four in the morning. She had to leave the house or 4.15. And for whatever reason, we went to that the mass that night, Saturday night, and which we usually don't do. And during the mass, my heart was really broken and sad and frustrated and kind of feeling like a failure as a parent because several of my kids were not responding to the prayers or singing the songs or engaged in the the mass. And, you know, what usually... You What's that? Like how old were the kids? Who I think we had seven of, we had all seven kids. Okay. I had all seven of the kids and you were home. And, you know, we try to say, you know, bring your prayer book, open up the readings, sing a song. It, it just should not be this hard, right? It should not be this hard, but it just felt so dry. And I just continued in my own prayer and had a prayer book. But as we got closer to the Eucharist, um, I think it was the Our Father, and I don't even know if the kids are praying it. I leaned over to two of the girls that were on either side of me, and I just said to them, I don't really think you should go to communion. I don't think you're engaged in this Mass, and I don't know if you're ready to receive Jesus. And I felt this strong sense of, I don't have the right to say that to them. How am I, how should I be the one to deny them Jesus in the flesh? But at the same time, I don't think they really realized what their heart was supposed to be preparing for. And, you know, as Catholics, we believe that Jesus is the source, the summit, it's his flesh and blood. And I just felt like this lack of realization of what was happening. There was just this casual, absent drifting of the mind and the heart to what was actually happening up on the altar. And it was so sad. I don't know. I just felt like this is terrible. Like when they talk about so many young millennials and young, you know, teenagers slash going into college age kids leaving the church. I could see in this moment just how real that is for so many kids that go to Mass, don't engage in prayer, don't seek the Lord, don't have a relationship with Him, don't know Him in a way that is personal and intimate, or want to even come to Him and and honor Him and seek Him out. So I could see that in that moment. And I leaned over and they, so one decided not to go to communion. And I didn't go to communion because I felt like I had not engaged in that service in a way that was honorable to the Lord. If I really was going to receive him for who he is, I just was not worthy. I just did not, I don't know, in my heart I was so str- I was struggling and I was saddened and I was burdened and I was frustrated and I, I just felt, and I knew I was going to go to Mass the next day, so I guess that was my back door. And I was going to go to the Latin Mass versus the Novus Ordo. But man, it was so hard. And it's not like the priest wasn't holy. Okay, the music was terrible. (laughs) I have to say that. 
I don't know, Tom. It was so sad. I just felt so sad for our church. I felt robbed. You know, Tom, when they talk about, and this is a side, this is another whole part of this, but when we talk about healing, that the Lord wants to heal us, and my word for the year, I don't know if I've shared this, my word for the year is healing, that there's a lot of things that the Lord wants to heal in my heart and in my mind and in my thoughts. Um, one is, that is so striking, is the Lord wants to heal me of my relationship with our church. I felt so betrayed and so let down. And, and when I say church, I don't even know who I'm talking about. Like, is it the priests, bishops, laity, like the building? <laughs> like it's so, for a Catholic, you have so much history. But there's just a lot of healing that has to happen because of how not just I've been weakened in my faith and I've lost, or I've maybe the, the leadership has lacked the courage and the truth and the, the fortitude and the perseverance and the courage to be who God calls us to be in this time. So it's not just, you know, the leaders, but it's also the laity. I don't know. I just... It's like, I just am so sad. And it's not just my relationship with the church and, and how it's, hit, I would say, hindered my walk with Christ. It's my children. I feel more hurt, and I feel like there's more healing because of how my kids have lost faith. And as much as we do, Tom, to bring them to faith, I see that in that moment of going to Mass, that their lack of engagement is just heartbreaking. And so... Anyhow, I just had leaned over and had never done that before and said, I don't think you should go to communion. If you're don't, if you not praying to the Lord and you're not engaged and you're not talking to him during this time, you're not worthy of receiving him. <laughs> like I said, I felt like I overstepped my boundary. But um, at the same time, I was just like, what do we believe? If, if we're here and this is Jesus, what do we believe? Is this really what we believe? Yeah, did you just witness, are you acting like you just witnessed a supernatural intervention where heaven, where God, the creator of the universe, took bread and wine and turned it into his living presence, the living presence of Jesus Christ right there on the altar? Did you just witness that? And you're going to come forward and receive God into your very being. Do you, are we acting like that happened? And the answer is no. You know, Tom, sometimes I receive Christ in the Eucharist and I don't fully, I know, I know like, you know, what, what does Peter say? Help my, you know, belief, but I believe, on. help my unbelief. Yeah. That wasn't actually Peter, but that's okay. It was, in, was, it? It was, in, the, it was in the Bible. It was the <laughs> it Peter, Peter, James and John come down the mountain from the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And they come upon the apostles trying to cast a demon out of this boy that the father had brought and this boy is having these fits and throwing himself into fire and water and they can't cast out the demons. And the father comes running over to Jesus and says, if you can do anything to help him, please do. And he says, if I can, he said, anything is possible for those who have faith. And he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Excellent. I did not know that. <laughs> I thought it was Peter for some reason. Well, Peter was watching. So I, I, I was giving you half credit. I was giving you half credit. I just know that when I go to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, I am praying and begging the Lord to help me believe in a way that is more than what I believe. Because I read the stories of saints and holy people, and I know that I'm not there. So 
that's one level of just where I struggle and I'm not all perfect and I don't believe fully and I know the Lord honors me and and loves me and wants to come close to me and be in me. So I I do it in a way of I'm not perfect, but Lord, I know that you are and you're doing something in this moment of mystery of receiving. However, if we're at mass and we're not doing any any interaction, any conversation, any kind of attempt to engage with the Lord, then we surely should not be going up to receive him. Yeah, so it's funny because the church in Vatican II, in the, in the document on the sacred liturgy, that it raised up a standard. And the standard was that the faithful ought to participate in a way that is full, conscious, and active. Full, conscious, and active. How do you remember this? Uh, I have studied a little theology. I know, but time. how do you remember all these? It's in Sacrosanctum Concilium. Exactly. There you go. You're going to flex okay. now. Okay, go ahead. The, um, the dogmatic constitution and the liturgy. The first document. Anyways, the point is that the um, if you stop and say, uh, is our do our kids have participation that's full? Yeah, now it's practically empty. Is it conscious? No, these kids are unconscious. Dr- dozing off fading off in their awareness and are they active in their participation no they're rather passive just sort of going through the motions and so whatever else we want to say about the way the church forms the faithful to engage in the liturgy we are falling short of the standard by miles there's not full conscious active participation on the part of the laity i mean at what time at what time at what point do the the bishops, the priests, whom? Who who stops and looks out and says, this is a failure? Or, yeah, well, what do we do about it? How do we address it? How do we help foster participation that is fuller, more conscious, and more active? And I don't want to put this all on the priest or the bishop. I feel like, you know, as us as parents, we have the most responsibility, I feel. We're the first. John of the Cross. Okay, John of the Cross. So cool. And the, at the very end of the ascent of Mount Carmel, the, the, at the end of the book, it just stops. He doesn't finish it, but he just stopped writing it. The last section, he talks about the gifts of the preacher versus the anointing, the graced preacher. And essentially, he says that it's holiness that is the essential requirement of the preacher. However, oratory gifts, oratorical gifts... Uh, are are also very valuable, but he said that it's the priest's words ought to be able to raise someone from the dead. And he says that is on the priest's part. He said, however, there's a component that's associated with the hearers of that word, that the effect of the word of the preacher also depends upon the faith of those who hear. And if their faith is weak, and say they, their faith is weak, yes, it pulls down that sense of holiness in the liturgy itself. So it's like the part we play is more than we know. So I, I think that that's like when we can go to mass, special masses, Right, masses that are not um, just a typical—I hate to say—typical Sunday mass. But when you have like the Mass for Life, 
right, pro-life mass. Like, how many masses for life? When you're there, you sense God. Because people made a sacrifice to go. And they are there because they're on a mission. And they have a burning concern. And they're bringing all of that to bear in the liturgy at that moment. Can't you sense God more powerfully? And so it's this combination of the fervent faith of Father, did you like that? And the powerful participation of the people. What's your most impactful, like, holy mass you've been to in your life? Could so you, immediately, you, immediately uh, one jumps out at me. Uh, it was when I went to a mass at the Little Sisters of Jesus Crucified. It was a community of contemplative sisters whose mission, whose charism was suffering. In order to get into this community, you had to have a form of bodily suffering. Like cancer or like So the sister that I knew was Sister B. Sister B had a form of rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile. Like, Wait, uh, I just never even heard of this. You have to have a bodily suffering to get into this. It's the charism. <laughs> the charism of this community this is, only Catholics. is suffering. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I think I'm ready to jump ship. <laughs> Come on, honey. So, uh, but what, what am I telling you about this mass? So, but so, was this, her, so she had rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis? Her or? arthritis was so painful that they literally took the bones out of all of her fingers. So she had no bones. She just had four fleshy Ugh. stubs. They had fused her back so that her back, she had no ability to move other than her back was completely straight. Oh my goodness. And um, she suffered terribly. And, um, and so that was Sister B who prayed for me. She prayed for me when I was, every day when I was in the seminary. She'd be praying for me. So I went to visit her. And I got to spend time with her, and they and they allowed me and the other seminarian to go to mass with them. What were some of the other physical? So some like had one was in a wheelchair, one was um, had um, like two um, crutches that you kind of like are almost like a uh, almost function like arms or, or legs, where you kind of like use them to. It wasn't like crutches under the um, under the sh- under the armpit, but on the forearm. And so they, she used them to walk. So she was physically like deformed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was a various situations like that. Well, we went to mass and with these contemplative nuns who were there for years or decades, praying for hours and just offering their sufferings to the Lord. And I mean, it was, God was there. It was the singing was so just like this beautiful, simple, like little chant singing they did. And it was very quiet. It was incredible. And I still remember, um, I still remember one, uh, two parts of it. The part that I'll bring up is um, during the, um, the, the breaking of the bread, the fraxio panis, um, you know, Lamb of God, that's when the host is, is fractured, right? Then you put a little piece of the host of the Lord into the cup, right? Well, the priest who was presiding said Jesus took bread, broke it, and he broke the host at that moment. And the sisters went, they were so dialed in to the presence of the Lord that they were like struck. 
that the priest had done that gesture. All right, back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. I'm with uh, my wife, Carrie, and we're talking about, well, we were talking about penance, and somehow we got on to, I don't even know where we ended up. Oh, yes, you were talking about your your experience at Mass and how you challenged the kids to um, up your game or don't come forward for communion. And and I then went to John of the Cross and just pointed out how he, it's the it's the fire, it's the holiness of the preacher whose word ought to be able to raise the dead. Oh, so powerful. And and he used the example of in confession, you're raising the dead spiritually. Uh, and every time you forgive sins, so you ought to be able to have that be applied when you're preaching. And and then the faith of the people. And so here I am with these contemplative nuns, just there's maybe 12 of them in this tiny chapel. What town are you in? In Newport, Rhode Island. Okay. Where those big, beautiful... Um, the Rockefellers. Yeah, all those big, the- beautiful mansions are. It was on one road up from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, one road up was this old house. It wasn't a big, beautiful mansion. It was just a, an old house. And they had converted into this very humble convent. And I remember at Mass, and when he broke the host, it just was like, it was striking these women, these sisters, these consecrated religious, who were so deeply touched by God. What by happens... Jesus. Tom, when that ha- when you when the priest breaks the host, what is that supposed to symbolize? So, uh, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. That's when you take the the host and you and you break it in half. Well, what what when is Jesus the Lamb of God? When his body is broken on the cross. Okay. So it's it's a physical um, representation symbolizing the act of Christ's death on the cross. And so he brought it forward into the time of the um, the uh, institution of the Eucharist uh, at that moment of um, consecration, um, and when he did it at that moment, and it just struck these women. And so that was one element. And the other time was when we did the uh, prayers of the faithful, and fathers said a couple of prayers. They opened it up, and then several sisters said prayers. And then they stopped and paused. And I was going to pray. And I didn't. And they were just waiting. And it was like, everybody knew. Each of the sisters knew. He's supposed to offer a prayer. The Lord knew. They all knew. (laughs) I knew. And I didn't do it. And I just was like, uh, you know how you get caught? I got caught. I froze. And so I didn't say the prayer. And then afterwards, the other seminarian was like, what were you waiting for? Why didn't you say a prayer? <laughs> Wait, did the other seminarian say his prayer? Yeah, he said a prayer. And, and I didn't. It wasn't like they went around the circle and everyone said something. Of course. But there was just this sense of, you're supposed to pray. Okay, so she told a story to me about... Sister B. Sister B told a story to me about going on retreat. Now, who gives a retreat to this sister? Right? Can you imagine how holy you have to be if you kind of <laughs> give a retreat to these sisters? And the question he said to the sisters was, come up with one word that describes who you are in your relationship with the Lord. And finish the sentence. I am weak. <laughs> What's your word, Dad? <laughs> I am strong. Uh, <laughs> 
so um, I, I should give you a chance to say what was her word. Um, I am worship. I am known. Isn't that powerful? I am known. She knew that she was known by the Lord. And that word known in the Hebrew means that sense of intimate union. I am one who lives in intimate union with the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She knew God because she was known by God. Why did she share this with you? No idea. She's just like, hey, Tom, I was on this retreat, and I just want to share. You know, Were you just... not known at that time? Were you struggling in your own call to be a priest or to get married? or? I don't know, but she changed my life, I know for sure. Um, How old was this? Were you in the seminary? Yeah, I was just 19. Oh, okay, just I, before you went to Rome. Uh, yeah, 19, and maybe I just turned 20. So it was just in my first year in the seminary. Um, went down there, and uh, she wrote me a letter before I ever met her. Um, the other seminarian had said, hey, I want you to pray for this friend of mine that I just met in the seminary. His name's Tom. And, and so she started to pray for me. And so you've heard me tell this story before. So I got the letter and she said, Tom, as you went to the seminary, I'm going to pray for two things for you. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit makes you fire. And she said, remember the burning bush? That was the manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God, the bush which was consumed without being destroyed. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit makes you fire so that you'll be like a burning bush. And then she said, as you study theology, you'll be taking in the truth of God. So she said, I'll, I, I'm going to pray for you that you will be a sponge a sponge to receive the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit who will fill you to overflowing so that like a sponge gets so filled with water that it then overflows, the dry sponge. And she said, I'm going to pray for that for you. Um, two weeks later, uh, they had confessions at the seminary. Every Wednesday night, they brought in an outside priest to hear confessions in the seminary. Hey, that'd be great. An outside priest. I know. Okay, even better. To come in. This priest was blind. Okay? <laughs> I'm like, what? check, check, check. Okay, we're going. And he didn't we're speak going. English. Let's go. <laughs> no, he didn't understand English. He didn't understand yeah. English. Yeah. That's terrible, Carrie. That was terrible. terrible. Blasphemous. Oh, is, that, oh is that blasphemous? Sacrilege. Well, okay. I'm, just, I'm just pointing to my own pride and not willing to be humble and afraid and weak and... It's not like you go to confession and the priest hasn't heard everything, but still. Okay, so this blind priest, I got in line, went to confession, confessed my sins, and at the end, the priest says to me, he says, um, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, um, well, I tried to be quick on my feet and started talking about Jesus. Wait, didn't you have encountered the Holy Spirit at that time? Um, yeah, but that language of personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, I see that. I would, I would have talked personal relationship with Jesus. Yes. So I started talking Jesus. And he said, no, 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 the Holy Spirit. 
And so then I went off to Trinitarian theology, and he cut me off. <laughs> right? Always a good move, going to theology. Go to Trinitarian theology, the baby. Local Let's priest. go. Well, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. He said, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit says, you do believe in the Holy Spirit. And I said, yes. And he says, the Holy Spirit wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And I said, I'm going to give you two images for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He said, the first is fire. He says, the Holy Spirit wants to make you fire. And then he said, I have one other image. He said, I want you to imagine a faucet. And then you turn faucet on, and the water's coming out of the faucet. And then you take a sponge, and you put the sponge into the faucet, into, into the water, and that dry sponge becomes so filled with water, it absorbs all of the water, it'll then um, pour out from it. He said, the Holy Spirit wants to make you a sponge. That happened two weeks after that letter. So how long did that keep you in the seminary? That must have been, that must have been fuel for the fire. So he said something to me. He said, I'm going to give you a spiritual practice to help you grow in an intimate personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. He said, when you come forward for communion, pray, oh, uh, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. And, and then ask Jesus for the gift of an intimate personal relationship with the Holy Spirit to make you fire and a sponge. And I did that for 25 years. Coming forward for communion, I would pray that prayer. Come Holy Spirit, I want an intimate relationship with you, Holy Spirit, make me fire, make me a sponge. So that was my devotion for coming forward uh, to receive Holy Communion. And, and, to be honest, I'm not doing that much anymore. I'm now much more focused on receiving communion for others, for you, if you're not with me, for our family members, especially for our kids or other close family members who are far from, from God or struggling in their relationship with God. I'm receiving communion for them. And so um, so that tends to be more my devotion right now. But for literally 25 years, I was always praying for that relationship with the Holy Spirit, all because of a little nun living in a contemplative monastery in Newport, Rhode Island, who wrote me a letter before she ever met me, and a blind priest who showed up at the seminary two weeks later. Now, how cool is God? How cool is God that... That's how he acts. I, I just think that. that is so amazing. I love how he uses the consecrated. Amen. Yes. Well, we're up against a break, Carrie. When we come back, um, I want to give a sort of a, a report from the field. This is going to be a different field, but it's related to faith too. The field of real estate. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you. I mentioned that uh, I've got an update, and this is connected to real estate. And believe it or not, I'm going to weave this right back around to just this theme of um, of penance as a way of dislodging, of uprooting, and um, and and that as a means that God uses to set free. And and it's actually connected to real estate, believe it or not, which is kind of weird. Okay, so. I want to go back and just say something is happening in the market again. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of market insight. 
Um, this past weekend, uh, I was helping two different families look at houses um, who are preparing to move this way. And um, something happened this weekend that has not been happening in the last, say, two months since just before Thanksgiving. And that is there are lots of buyers who are showing up again and making offers on properties. And so this happened in four different properties just this past weekend, which is uh, amazing. So uh, a family was coming over to look at several homes. And and I mentioned yesterday that when literally the day before they were showing up, um, two of the homes that we were going to look at were homes that had been on the market for two months, had, had not really changed the price at all. And all of a sudden, you know, we called and just thinking, okay, it's not going to be any problem at all to um, to get showings for these homes because they've just been sitting there on the market. And it's not like the price has been driven down to like make it really appealing. Well, <laughs> I called the agents and <clears throat> one of them, it's like, well, we just signed around a purchase and sale agreement and we had five offers on the house today. Five offers on the house in a day. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, a house that's been on the market for two months, all of a sudden in, in, in a matter of a day or maybe two days, you a bunch of showings and people are showing up and five offers. Another house, uh, th- we were there like just confirming that there's an open house the next day. Maybe we can get in the day before. And they're like, sorry, we just went pending. In other words, we're under contract for sale. And I'm like, what? This house has been on the market for two months. And all of a sudden, it's gone pending. And um, the house that we ended up, um, uh, we looked at a few houses, and the one that they ended up liking the most, we were able to do a quick um, turnaround and got an offer accepted on a house uh, in a matter of 24 hours. And literally the next day, there was someone else showing up that was saying, well, we'd like to buy this house and we might have to put in a backup offer. So, and then I was talking to another agent and he said, wow, same thing happened to a listing that I, that he had. The house had been on the market for three months and then all of a sudden, you know, no, no change in price. And all of a sudden this past weekend, a couple folks showed up, both interested, both made bids and all of a sudden there's a bidding war. And it's like, okay, what is going on? What's going on in the market right now that all of a sudden you have all these buyers showing up? Well, I think part of it's time of year, right? People have gotten through the holidays and they can start focusing again. But I think there are other factors as well. I think that one of the biggest factors is this recognition of interest rates are likely going to rise, right? Now, no one has a crystal ball, but just based on the messages coming out of the um, out of the federal government regarding um monitoring interest rates, there is this signal that's been given that in the first half of the year, there are going to be, um, there's going to be movement upwards on the interest rate. And, and that impacts buyers, right? Because the higher the interest rate, uh, the more that that's going to impact the income to debt ratio, meaning that they're going to be able to afford a lesser home or the home that they would have bought for the same price a month or two earlier, all of a sudden is going to cost more on a monthly basis because of a higher interest rate. So that is definitely a factor that people are saying, hey, we need to pay attention to 
um, interest rates as we're timing our own purchase. The, I think a, a third factor is the fact that there is really almost no end in sight to the reality of appreciation. Right? People are talking about um, lots of um, high net worth individuals and institutions that have a lot of cash are trying to find a safe haven for their uh, for their wealth and real estate is increasingly an attractive option. So you have these institutional buyers, these funds who are going in and um, buying up uh, tons of rent, tons of homes and making them rentals or developing homes as rentals. And so that's driving prices up. And then you have um, other um, individuals who are looking for where do we put our money? And so they're buying second homes, vacation homes, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and just using it as a place to to store their wealth as well. Because the cost of money, namely the such a low interest rate and high appreciation, what a great! And you put a renter in there, all of a sudden that's a great investment strategy. Um, so says these, you know. So some folks are saying, and then you have um, a, a lot of buyers who tried to move here last summer and fall and just missed out because of all the bidding wars. And they just hit the pause button through the holidays. And now they're like, if we wait until May, we're going to bump up against everyone else that waited until May. And so we better start early. We better start sooner or we're going to find ourselves in bidding wars and miss out on homes as they come on the market. And so I think that's also driving some behavior. Um, there's a sort of seasoned uh, 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 veteran of the real estate industry um, who was saying that um, in this area and in sort of some hot real estate market areas, the idea of a season has taken on less meaning. Like typically the buying, you know, the season that's the hottest for Buying and selling homes is sort of like May through uh, maybe early September, right? Just sort of in that range. And then you have sort of these shoulder seasons that can extend a little bit before or a little bit after. And it's all of a sudden like, you know what? That concept has less application in markets like Seattle and Spokane and northern Idaho, uh, Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene, Sandpoint, that these places and wow, it's I'm seeing more houses come on the market and I'm seeing and hearing about buyers are lining up to buy. And I think the, the last factor is let's just call it COVID related reasons, whether people are just COVID weary with oppressive policies that require increasing restrictions around, um, around, um, increasing restrictions around the ability to uh, go places and go to events and do things. I think a lot of families are just tired of it regarding schools and the, uh, the uh, le legislation that's po proposed or policies proposed around vaccination of children and, and others in order to be able to be around kids. And people are just tired of it uh, as well as just factors around losing jobs. So uh, people who have the ability to work remotely are like, why do I want to live in such an oppressive place when I can move to a place that's just so much more open and would allow me to uh, enjoy life with my family? 
So I think that that's, that's a factor as well. So um, I just, I, I say to you that if, uh, if the, the idea of moving is a reality for you and you want to sort of talk about that or um, have someone that can bring uh, a degree of uh, expertise and insight in the field as well as um, it's something that I've done for myself for over 20 years, almost 25 years now, bought and sold real estate private, privately, and now I'm doing it as a licensed agent in Washington in Idaho. Love to be of service to you. And the, where this connects to um, penance is that, if you remember, uh, the, the theme of today is that the Lord wants to uproot us. He wants to uproot from our lives things that are holding us back in our growth to holiness and in the fulfillment of our mission. The Lord is calling us to be willing to uproot and to be uprooted from our lives and in our lives, those things that are holding us back in the fulfillment of our mission and in our growth and holiness. And it is becoming increasingly clear to more and more families that as they attempt to raise their children in faith, to be faith-filled, as they raise their children to be fervent Catholics who know the Lord, that it takes extraordinary efforts to battle against the forces that are attacking the faith of our kids, that are coming against our families, that are uh, attempting to attack the church. And so a number of families have just said, I am willing to be uprooted and to uproot my family to come to a place where we can have a better chance to peacefully raise our kids to know and love and serve the Lord, to be around other kids that are less toxic, to be in environments that are more healthy, and to take root there. And so that's a, that's a really, it's a, it's a mission of mine. It has been for over two years, and it's not for everybody. But if it's potentially for you, I'd love to hear from you. You can go to my website, mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, and just contact me there. And I'd love to be, again, to be of service to you, or even just talk to you and discern about the that whole concept of moving. All right, God bless your day.